Yes, thank you, Janet. Songs about Jesus. Whoa, there's just something about that name. And I never, never, never get tired of hearing it, and I never, never will. God bless you. And hello out there, everybody. So we're in the final episodes of these teachings on the translation of the lost book of the Word of the Gods. Wow. And this teaching today, and perhaps the next teaching, uh, I, I think uh, last week was the thir 13th, and this, you know, um, um, or we're into the 13th, and that we're going to be getting into the 14th and the 15th, yeah. So uh, we're into the, the 13th today, and then there's going to be two more. And when we get into these two more teachings, wow, what a conclusion we're going to have of all this. We're going to touch just on some interesting things today. We're going to, going to finish up uh, the reading on this certain part about Satan, Lucifer, Lucifer Satan. And, uh, but before we do, uh, I, want to, uh, I want to get into another aspect uh this well might be a tough thing for some people to uh to uh swallow um some people have heard it you know so differently um uh, but that doesn't mean that just because you've heard it differently that that is correct um one of the things that is so efficiently said in the bible as far as parameter parameter of, of ideology, parameter of thought, parameter of what is the actuality of spiritual reality. And the actuality of spiritual reality is that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You don't think like me. You don't interpret like me. You don't have concepts like me. In fact, the Bible tells us that you know, it hasn't even come into the mind of the human race. The incredible, called wonderful things of God. They're, they're, they're just so wonderful that it is not in the nature of the human mind beast to have that kind of a reaction. Uh, the, the human beast, you know, has a lot of human nature that's animal nature. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that, that we are beasts. And um, <clears throat> in the understanding of that, that, that uh, animal nature, uh, a animals uh, by their nature, as far as we've been able to see for a long, long time, uh, are the majority of them predators. And, uh, and they, they kill to live. Uh, and, you know, humans have a lot of that same kind of predator aspect in them. Uh, that's why that uh, when there is a fire, uh, people rush to see it. Uh, uh, the uh, matadors uh, always have a huge audience when they're killing the bull. Uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, the uh, people in the Rome, uh, in those huge uh, uh, theaters uh, where uh, the gladiators... Uh, would fight each other and kill each other. There was like ten thousands of people that would come to just see all of that murder and that that terrible, uh, gory uh, war of, of a human against a human and even humans against animals. 
So there is a rush that happens uh, to see these things, which is, uh, you know, pretty much a sign of the human nature that is that is that is in uh, the mortal uh, person. Now, uh, what is is sadly missed is because of a misinterpretation of the Bible, because of not understanding God, not understanding what God means, uh, there, has, there has been a misinterpretation of the majority of the Bible. And, uh, and in this misinterpretation, uh, misinterpretation of the majority of the Bible, uh, there has come to, to be uh, uh, interpretations that are more along the side of the, the animal beast nature. And, uh, you know, that, that is so, so sad. For instance, in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, <clears throat> and the verse 8, it says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now, if you just took that verse alone, you say, Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Uh, ask of God then to give you the 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 heathen and 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 a possession of the uttermost parts of the earth so that you can bring them into the salvation of god i mean that's what at first a person would would you know conclude but then when you read the next verse uh, it's it's a tough one uh, now let me read it again ask of me and i shall give you give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, if you were to interpret this the way it is being interpreted by a lot of, a lot of the churches, a lot of the ministries, a lot of the people that claim to be Christians and of other religions that claim to be merciful, what you would be reading here is that pray that God will put into your hands the heathen so that you can you can make an example of them so that you can kill them uh, so that you can uh, break them with a rod of iron now this would be a very cruel way of killing someone uh, thou shalt dash them to in pieces like a potter's vessel you know, and, and so people read that and they say, well, that's what God said to do, and that's what God wants us to do. We're just to go out there and, and, and of course, you've got, you've got religions. I mean, the, the Muslim religion, I don't say that everybody that's a Muslim believes that, but there are a lot of people in the Muslim, that, Muslim uh, uh, Islamic faith that believe that. And they believe that, uh, you know, that, that they have the right they have the right to uh, to go out and kill anybody that doesn't want to convert to Islam, and uh, but you've got people in the Christian faith that that have some of those same kind of ideas. They won't admit it to you face to face, but they do. You know, they, there's preachers right now around around the globe that are uh, up uh, behind. Christian pulpits and basically teaching for people to prepare themselves to war, to go out and, and battle other human beings and destroy them uh, that, that are standing in the way of Christianity. Uh, and and th these, are, these are, are, are not things from God. These are not teachings from God. And this scripture here that sounds like that is what it is saying to do is not what it is saying because it is talking about something quite 
different and quite distinct. So when it talks about thou shalt, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, this whole teaching of the rod is an immense teaching. I have taught on the, on the rod in the past, and you can't teach it in one uh, message. It's message after message after message. It's, it's an explicitly involved uh, teaching, and, and, uh, and it has to do with a lot of things, including the, the ancestral inheritance and, and all the things that that ultimately goes back to, and, and the connection to, to Jesus Christ, of which it tells us in Revelation that, you know, he'll rule with a rod, and, and what the rod really does mean uh, to the rod of Aaron, to the rod that Moses lifted up in the wilderness, and at the, and at the Red Sea, or the, the Sea of Weeds, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know. So what this message is about, that it is actually saying, uh, you know, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for thine inheritance. What kind of an inheritance that would be to have tens of thousands of millions of people uh, beat to pieces with a rod, uh, all the blood being spattered, all the guts being spattered, and, and just uh, break, hit them so many times that they're just broken in pieces. Is that what God is saying to do? No, it is not. And the people have not understood this because, you know, of of the divine, uh, uh, invisible part that is hid, uh, that is in a parable. But what it is talking about, it, it breaking them, is a spiritual thing called fractioning. And that is where, you know, you begin to break up the fallow ground. And the ground, of course, is the human being. And, and, the, and, the, and the Bible says we came from dust and, you know, out of the ground that we were created and to the ground you will return. And you're breaking up that nature in the, in the human being that, you, that this is called in manifest teachings, the lattice change. When, when the lattice of a person, uh, the, there's a spiritual lattice, there's a physical lattice, uh, there is an animal lattice. Uh, it, it just goes on and on and on. And this lattice is into everything, even, even atomic uh, uh, aspects of, of uh, using that word in the vocabulary, uh, has mathematical equations. So uh, it is not minor, and uh, it is uh, really uh, fabulous when you begin to understand that saying, you know, uh, if you ask, I will give you the heathen. And, and, and the, the word heathen is important because these are people that are just not learned. They are not taught. They're ignorant of so many, many things. And uh, they have been profoundly, uh, you know, uh, maybe rejected by other people and other nations. Uh, they have been um, incredibly set aside uh, by anger and by rejection because they are heathens, paganists. And, and uh, yet God says, you know, don't, don't throw them away. They're souls. Ask of me, and I'll give them to you. And and then he's saying, I'll show you how, you know, to to break up that nature that is in them, uh, that 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 heathen nature, nature, those paganistic uh, uh, ideologies that they follow and believe. I'll show you how to break that up. I'll show you how to to change them from the creatures that they are and 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 how to develop them so that they're so that a true will in them can come forth and they can learn uh, you know to to recognize the true God and to love the true God and and that would be your inheritance 
you know, and you could do this in a mass basis uh, with the rev manifest revelation of spirit to spirit. You can't do it in, in the old method, you know, uh, <clears throat> which has been replaced. Uh, and well, I should say, which is being replaced. Um, for instance, you know, the laying on of the hands so that you personally have to lay your hand on every one of those people that you're wanting to deliver a hand, you know, a, a body to body, a hand to body, physical to physical. Uh, but in the manifest revelation, it's spirit to spirit. And going out and, and you know being able to to go across across the whole world by the spirit and talk to someone and just by that method of talking and your voice speaking to them, they can receive what the transmission of your spirit is into their spirit and if 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 the word is living in you in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the and the word was made flesh as you take this uh, god spirit and 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 that has always been and you have that god spirit in you by the holy spirit and then you begin to transmit from your spirit uh, that spirit of yours which has been uh, insurged with this holy spirit baptism and you begin to to speak that through through some device where they can hear you and and that spirit is transmitted through the hearing aspect and people begin to receive that spirit uh they can be clear across the world they can be around the world they can be beyond this planet onto another planet uh there is a beauty there there is a glory there and and this spirit to spirit ministry uh is where it's going so the so the bible says as jesus ta taught it he said you know there are two mountains and these are two different ideologies but i tell you the day will come that neither in the one ideology or the other ideology is going to be the plan of god and, and you know that included talking about israel and jerusalem he said but that's not where the plan of god is going to ultimately resolute the ultimate resolution of God, uh, which is going to incorporate, you know, involution and convolution, both that which goes in, both that which goes out, uh, is is going to 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 happen. He says, uh, by those that worship God in the spirit and in truth, those that worship God in the spirit and truth are going to be functioning and operating by the spirit, and not functioning and operating by the the mortal flesh and giving a credence to the mortal flesh as if the mortal body could have some kind of power but it is really the spirit within that searches out what the person really is and that is the story that is told in the bible in many many different uh scriptures of the bible so so we're going to share with you some things because this is really necessary to be a prelude to my finishing up of the reading, uh, you know, of of of, the, of this uh, incredible word about Lucifer, Satan, uh, and uh, uh, let's just um, let's just look at Habakkuk uh, chapter three. Um, <clears throat> uh, some of these little less known, uh, you know, uh, books are are really quite incredible. Uh, some of the messages that that they they carry um <laughs> just hold truths that are awesome in the um the second chapter of the book of habakkuk uh that's h a b a k k u k habakkuk and uh and and that book uh, comes right up after nahum and uh, uh it is uh, just before uh, uh zephaniah 
Okay, so um, in the chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me. Now, isn't it a beautiful thing? And, to have that word and, the, the, the conjunction, the, the addendum, the, the other thing that God is going to say uh, that you've been waiting for to be connected, that other thing that God is, God is going to speak between the cherubims as you communicate with him. Uh, the force of darkness on one side, the force of light on the other side. You're hearing between those two powers and you're being able to direct out the forces of darkness and direct in the forces of light. So convolution is one side, involution is the other. Involution, you take it into yourself, you know, and, and convolution goes to the physical body. It's the outroll. The involution is the inroll. Blessed be the name of God. You know, and so it's, it's, it's beautiful, the, the story, uh, the punctuation, the whole conceptuality is beautiful. And the Lord answered me, verse, chapter 2, verse 2, and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. Now, there's a time that God speaks to people and says, Write the vision. And God spoke to me, you know, like 50 years or so ago, and said, Write the vision. <clears throat> and I wrote it. And we had a school of the prophets that we shared it with. But we, at the time, uh, people would say, can I go and tell this to other people? And I would say, no, it is not the time. This, we're, not, we're not out here trying to win over the whole world at this time. There will come a time when the manifest word will be ready to be spoken, to be preached, to be you know, exalted among the, uh, the hearing of many, many people. But right now, uh, it's, it's, it's just in a development state. Write the vision. Now, what does it say following, following that? It says, uh, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Well, why do you write the vision if it's yet for an appointed time? Because that's how God always does everything. He always does everything, uh, pre, uh, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a pre-preparation. Uh, there is a timeliness. There is a causation. And, and so God says, write the vision. Get it ready. It's not the time yet, you know, but it's, it, you still have to write it and get it ready. And then it says, at the end, it shall speak. <clears throat> Don't get the idea that, um, that you know, that you are, are the one that has to uh, minister this revelation. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I begin to see that, you know, I thought, well, you know, I've, I've got to, I'm the one that wrote this. <clears throat> I, I'm going to have to minister it. But you know, the Lord showed me. You're just, you're, you're just, you know, like the telephone. Uh, you're just a vessel, and you're being used to write it. But that doesn't mean that you'll be the ultimate voice that that brings that brings it. Because the ultimate voice is not necessarily going to be a human. It's not necessarily going to ha going to have a personality. The 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 actual voice, the Bible says here. Is, is quite beautiful. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tablets, uh, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. The vision is going to speak. 
And and in the verse prior to that, it says, write it so that when people see it, they're going to just run. They're going to be affected just by reading the word, by hearing the word, by by discerning, uh, by the unction that they feel by the Holy Spirit as they read that word. So the word in itself is going to be empowered. The word itself is going to, going to have spiritual fortitude. And, and, and that's what we have to understand. The Holy Spirit is going to use this written word, which is a vision, you know. So it's a, not just a, a, any old kind of a word. It's a word that has a living story to it. It, it has a special uh, dimensional space to it. And, and as this word is, is touched by the eyes and by people seeing it, because it is it is enhanced uh, with, with, uh, into any type of vision. Any type of vision that looks upon that word, it's enhanced. And, and it promotes a spiritual connection. And as people are touched by that spiritual connection, uh, they will just begin to be illuminated. And as they are illuminated, they'll begin to be changed from how they have for years of their life thought a certain way, and they will discover that those ideas were not the thoughts of God. They were not the plans of God. They were not the reality of God. They were not the love of God that cast out all fear. They were not the love of God that is ultimately merciful and forgiving. Oh, that's what we're into this morning, who God really, really is. And so that day would come, you know, and it, said, it says, um, um, uh, it will not lie, though it tarry, there's going to be some waiting on this because it's a spirit by the spirit thing. Do we stand behind it? Do we support it? Well, of course, that's why the word is given in advance, you know, uh, uh, but it says wait for it. You know, don't push the buttons. Don't jam the circuits. Don't put pressure on the prophet. Just let it flow and let it come forth as it will come forth and be there, you know, to stand in the hedge, uh, to stand in the gap, uh, to stand behind this, this, this holy power of God that's going to rise up like a flood and destroy the wicked uh, and uh, the wicked idioms. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, so it says, for, because it will surely come, though it tarry, Wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not tarry. And what it means here, it will not tarry forever. It's going to come. Wow. And so in verse 11 of second chapter Habakkuk, For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. There, there is a wall. <laughs> and when we read in book of Revelations about the walls of Jerusalem, and, and, and we see the foundations the 12 foundations, and we see the walls, and we see how that those walls have all these different kinds of beautiful stones and jewel, uh, jewelry, and we see that, that the, 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 the gates that are attached to those walls, and they become a part of the wall, that they've got pearls, and, and there is just so many spiritual things about that whole thing of the wall. That, that, that it, it represents a spiritual aspect. But when this wall, you know, begins to be revealed and, and the foundations that are supporting it, when it begins to be revealed as God is intended for it to be revealed, then that's going to be, you know, the stone 
the stone that shall shall cry. When it means cry, it doesn't mean <laughs> like you're sobbing. But in they use that word cry to mean to voice or to shout or to exclaim. And so when the voice shall exclaim, you know, uh, the reality of this spiritual endeavor and spiritual prophetic plan, it says the beam out of the timber shall answer it. And the, and the trees of the field, they represent the people. And, and the beam in the, temper, in the timber is a plan of construction, a plan that you take the beams to, you know, and you, there's a, there are beams that are potential in, in all these, these trees and all this timber. And we're going to build a house of God and we're going to build an ark of God and 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 that, those things metaphorically represent the journeys and the spirituality and the worshiping mode and place of our Lord and God, of our Father, of our Jesus the Christ. It is exciting. It is moving. Let's roll on. Now we, we go over to the third chapter of Habakkuk, and uh, we read in the fourth verse, And his brightness was as the light. It does not mean that his brightness actually is a light, because it is very difficult for humans to ever think of a light without thinking of sunlight or thinking of a light bulb or a flashlight because they think of light in a certain kind of term. But there is a spiritual meaning of light that so exceeds anything that we could ever think of definition-wise, vocabulary-wise, as the meaning of light. And, and this, this light that it is expressing is along those lines. And his brightness was as the light. And now a colon. And he describes what that light looks like. He had horns coming out of his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. That is the description of the light. It is still in a metaphorical, parabolic pose, sense of a parable. Because the deep of it is still not known by the saying of it. But it is further uh, given to an explanatory uh, a reveal so that as one looks at that, you are able to see that there is a continuity above all other continuities. And as we get into this thing about the brightness and we discover that there are horns coming out of his hands, well, when it talked about the about the horns coming out of you know of of Moses, uh, the the Bible in the Strong's Concordance interprets that as rays, and so in these these rays, you know we we could compare this and think of this of the hands of Jesus, whose hands are these, you know that 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 were nailed on the cross. Someone said, well, the hands weren't nailed, it was the wrists. Uh, you don't really know that. It's totally possible that the hands were nailed and that the wrists were then tied to the 
to 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 the to the to the arm bar of the cross, and uh, so uh, we can't be too emphatic about something that you know a person doesn't honestly, truly, and really and really know. Blessed be the name of God. So so the, the and there was the hiding of His power, or the unrevealedness, or the unmanifested, or the secret of His power. Wow. And this, then, is really the definition of the light, these rays, this, this energy that is coming forth, you know, from the hands. And, and the hands are such a beautiful thing. Raise your hands and praise God. Uh, Moses, take your hand and lift up the rod. And, and, and we think of all these things, you know, that the hands have been in the past representative of, even during the time that it was the function of laying your hands upon people to pray for the sick. Lay your hands upon people, prophesy, you know, for the giving of the gifts or the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it, it has a, a ministerial uh, portion uh, that can't just be kicked away. Uh, it's, it, it has a beautiful place. Uh, and then as people move out from the metaphorical aspect, then there is an expansion and, an, and a stretching of the, of the spiritual heavens. And as that begins to happen, uh, we begin to see more and more and more. So this thing, as the manifestor teaches it, that we are to become brightened, you know, and as we become brightened, uh, even if we never ever speak a word, just by being brightened, uh, you know, we begin to be what the Bible called us to be, you are the light of the world. And that's not talking about a light bulb, not talking about a candle. It's talking about some kind of a spiritual console that it emanates out of that body console, this, these rays. And so that people are beneficiary of, of you uh, just by coming into your presence or by your spirit to spirit, uh, being able to go across anywhere in the whole continent or world and, and emanate and pass on, uh, you know, that brightening that is happening to you. And as you keep getting brightened, brightening upon brightening, uh, you are then a living prophecy. As this prophecy in you begins to, to magnify, as it magnifies th this, this light, which, you know, is, which the meaning of, of light is these hands, you know, and the horns coming out, the rays coming out of them. And, and, and because the hands are what you reach out to give to people, reach out for, to, to, to make your signs, you know, uh, about. And, and so it, it is just magnificent and it is just beautiful. And there is a spiritual complexity, but out of that spiritual complexity, there are multiple births. And, and in the infancy of, of those uh, embryonic and multiple births, uh, there is a coming forth, you know, of, of a new creation and a new spiritual entity. And it is a song. And the Bible speaks about a song that comes to you in the night. And while you are surrounded in the world with all of the all that is out there with, to, to distract you, uh, to confuse you, to kill you and destroy you, there is a sanctum, there is a place, a hiding place, a hiding place in the knowledge of this secret that you keep 
to yourself until it's the right time. It's like what I read to you. You know, you write the word. The Bible says the day will come. You will no longer just write this word on a tablet, but it'll be written in the fleshly tables of your heart. So the meaning is broad. And the meaning has the capability of being stretched. Like when the Bible says God stretched out the heavens. That's what God wants to do to you. He wants to stretch out the good part that is in you. He wants it to be like a cocooning experience in which that ugly animal bug, worm, which we are all called worms, finally goes into incubation finally goes into a place of change. And after a period of time, comes out of that incubation, out of that cocooning, and with a little bit of stretching, a little more stretching, wings unfold. And the hands have become wings, and there is the hiding of the power as your spirit flies away to God who gave you. It is a moment of a new dawning. It is a moment so sensational, so baptized in a glorious feasting of the Spirit of God that all those who even come close to it are brightened, that all of those who can touch it are brightened, that all of those who can eat and feast of it are brightened, that can drink of it are brightened, that can vision upon it are brightened. Blessed be the name of God. We'll take a break. Janet Lee at the organ.
Thank you, Janet Lee. Wow. I love it. And I love your playing. And hello, everybody. Here we are again. We've got to really move because there's so much I want to stack in to this delivery today. And so we're still in Habakkuk. And it goes on in the fifth verse. And, uh, and it's, it's beautiful. This, the writings here are really quite beautiful. And we're in the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk. H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. Habakkuk. Chapter 3 and verse 5. He commandeth the pestilence. Wheresoever his blessings refuse to walk, diseases come forth. M-I-V. Now, people have not always understood when it talks about an angel of God going out and killing tens of thousands of people or God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, and all these destructive, just seems like uh, incredible wipeouts, you know. Uh, They've not only uh, always understood that, they just thought, well, I mean, that's just the way God is. If he doesn't like something, then he'll just eventually kill those people and he'll wipe them out, he'll, he'll smash them, he'll, he'll destroy them. Well, like I said earlier, people do not understand the Word of God. They do not understand the Word of God. And so they interpret it according to the beast that is in them. And so people are today preaching from the pulpits beast word, and they do not know it. They think they're preaching Bible word. But because they are not translating by the Holy Spirit, of which the Bible tells us that this word of God in the Bible <clears throat> can only properly be uh, described and, and, and understood by Holy Spirit, uh, you know, contextuality. <clears throat> Holy Spirit teaching. And, and, and that is not... In most cases, I don't say in all cases, but in most cases, what is happening? And so he commandeth the, 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 the pestilence. Uh, God has the ultimate control of everything in his creation. Uh, that does not mean that Satan has not set up his world here. But we all know that have any sense uh, about God is that at any ultimate moment, at any twinkling of the eye decision, at any blowing of the of the breath winds of his holy spirit he could change everything that is being held in the hands of satan to be held in the hands of god but god is not like that god is patient and he waits out because what he is interested in is not developing robots he is interested in the will. He's interested in people loving him, serving him, believing in him <clears throat> because they love him and because they, it is their will to serve him. And that is a absolutely prerequisite. So, wheresoever his blessings refuse to walk, diseases come forth. I hope you can get this. I hope you can stick that into your memory. Someone says, well, how explain this. Well, that's what I'm going to do. You see, how is it that these plagues can come upon a whole army by an angel passing over? Well, what the angel does, it doesn't go down there and stick bugs on and plague on every human being. What it does is it removes the blessings of God. Like there was a time when there was a curse upon all of the, all the ground. 
and God removed that. And and there are times that there is a certain kind of curse, you know, a curse of pestilence, a curse of diseases. And and the Bible talks about the angels that hold back the four winds. Uh, there is a prevailing condition there, a, a merciful thing, where the angels of God hold back all these things by a, the, the, the covering of a blessing. But when God removes in a, for a, over a particular city or over a particular space of ground his blessings, then immediately can follow the pestilent, immediately can follow the plague, immediately can follow the diseases. So people don't understand that it's not the same thing as God going out, out there and mowing people down with some kind of a ray gun and just, you know, it doesn't matter how much blood and, and guts are spilled and how much suffering and torment, uh, you know, uh, his angels aren't going out there with swords and, and just jamming through people's necks and through their bodies and, and, and cutting out their hearts. Uh, they All they have to do and when they're given the power to do it, is to remove the blessing from the area. As soon as the blessing from the area and the people have been removed, in come the pestilence, in comes the plague, in comes the diseases, in comes circumstantial uh, situations, uh, unthought of before, unexpected before. That's how it works. That's the real truth. That's the real gospel. That's the real manifestation you are hearing this morning. And, and the Spirit is already moving as I am speaking these things. I just feel it right now witnessing into people's minds as they know when they hear this that this is the true God and the true plan of salvation and the true love of God and the true mercy of God. They, we they recognize it and they can feel it. And I can feel that you feel it. Blessed be the name of God. And so, uh, now, let me, let me hit you with some stuff. Don't jump the gun. Don't, don't turn the crank. You know, don't uh, <laughs> bite the bullet. This is your moment to come into the knowledge of the Lord that is going to cover all of the world as the waters cover the seas. This is your moment. Divine it. Take it into yourself. Listen to this manifested thing. Manifested exclamation. If an angel of God kills any person, it shall guarantee that killed person will rise again, regardless of the transgression or the evil of sins that person has done. Therefore, shall that person enter a regeneration for another chance at salvation. It is the God law of mercy and love. <clears throat> wow. I will read that one more time. Yeah. I don't want that to become a millstone around your neck. But I want you to understand it's the kind of stones that God said, don't you know I, through Jesus, don't you know I can speak to these stones? And they'll become offspring of Abraham. Someone says, there's no hope for the stone. It's petrified. It's solidified. There's no hope for that stone. There's no passion left. There's no feeling left. There's, there, there is no verb le verve left. It's gone. It's just crushed down into the solidified, petrified stone. <clears throat> 
As a human, you could say that, and it would be true. But as God, you cannot say it, because it would not be true. Because with God, Jesus ex exclaimed it so absolutely perfectly. With God, all things, all things are possible. And let's go on. Let's read that again. If an angel of God kill any person, it shall guarantee that killed person. Just the, the fact of an angel killing any person is a guarantee that that killed person is going to rise again. And regardless of the transgressions, regardless of the evil of sins, that person has done. Therefore, shall that person enter a regeneration for another chance at salvation. It is the law of mercy and love. Wow. Wow. Get this straight. Get this straight. When these angels have gone out and have, for some reason, been involved beyond just removing the blessing, but have been involved in a warring because of the unction and the urgency and the quickening of time required, have literally gotten involved and destroyed a person or persons, then the law was, it's guaranteed. All those people are going to get a regeneration. They're going to rise again. But get this. When that angel destroyed those people, he only destroyed their houses that they lived in. The houses are the bodies, the physical bodies. Those are just houses. He didn't destroy their spirits. He didn't destroy their spirit souls which is the real person within them. He only destroyed their houses. And there's an insurance in the word of God that those people are going to get new houses to live in again. It's the word of God. Of course, I don't have the time to back up today all the things that would totally back up this whole statement. But... I think you understand. It's just like Isaiah 65, 8. It talks about that in the grape cluster, there is the real potential for wine, wine, W-I-N-E, that not everything in that cluster has that potential, but for the sake of the wine that is potentiated in there, you have to save the cluster. So every one of those grapes represents a body, represents a house. And so there are bodies in there that are connected in the cluster to other bodies, which can be other plans of life, other opportunities of life. And then there is a saving that takes place. Although those particular grapes that are not worthy to become part of where the wine is taken out of, yet because they are saved with the cluster, they become a part of that part which is a part that is used to bring forth the wine. And in the revelation and aspect of that, they have another chance that their seed can come forth. Wow. And 
you know, there, there are other beautiful, but beautiful scriptures. Um, let's just take a fast look over here at Second Samuel. Oh my, I'm, I'm getting into so much here. Uh, 2416. 2 Samuel 2416. <clears throat> and here's, here's what it says. Let me just read this right now. And it came to pass that when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul says, Is this thy voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his, oh wait, his voice and wept. I'm in First Samuel. Sorry. I will turn <laughs> to Second Samuel 24. All right. Well, probably was meant to. Is this thy son? You know, oh, how a person that is so angry can change so easily when the Spirit is moving by the Holy Ghost. Probably meant for us to read that. Okay, so here it is. We're reading from Second Samuels, Second Samuels twenty-four sixteen. Okay, and this is what it says. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. You've killed enough people. Stay thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arubna, the Jebusite. The Lord repented. There are dozens of scriptures about the Lord repenting of the evil. And people say, oh, I don't believe that. God doesn't have to repent. Well, it doesn't mean repent in the same way you might need to repent. But if you, if you really look at the meaning of all that in the proper references, like for instance, if you even go to the Hebrew Concordance, number 5162, of the word repent or repented, it means to sigh, to breathe strongly. Now, to breathe strongly can mean an awful lot of things. And God breathed into Adam, and he became a living human soul. It has the aspect of revitalization right there. To be sorry in a favorable sense, to pity, to console, to comfort. So someone is dead, <laughs> and you comfort them. And, you, can, and you, you console them. What for? Why? To say, that's too bad you're dead. It's too bad you're in hell. Jesus went and preached unto the dead who were sometimes disobedient, the Bible says in the book of Peter, during the flood. And they died in the flood. And Jesus went and preached to them. Why? Because they got another chance. They had another chance. They had a chance to repent. Jesus went and preached to those spirits. So I said, well, that's because Jesus hadn't been, hadn't offered his salvation back then. You don't even know what you're talking about. You've just heard an old broken record from a whole bunch of broken down people that don't know what they're talking about to you. Because that's what, not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches clearly that Christ was crucified from before the foundations of the world. And the Bible even talks about the church being in the wilderness. I've heard people say the church wasn't in the Old Testament. 
Again, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the scripture. God was in Adam, the Bible says, in the book of Luke. In the genealogy given in Luke, it says, going down through the genealogy, and finally it ends with, you know, an Adam who was the son of God. So let's not mingle in the trash. Let's get out of all of this long line of ministerial confusion that has pounced upon the brains of people, brainwashed many of them, so they are believing things that are not even factual, not even about God. They are understanding God as a cruel uh, Lord, as a vindictive Lord, and not understanding what the true meaning of the Scripture really is. And the Holy Manifest has come to clarify and to make these things known. Blessed be the name of the living God. <clears throat> wow. Let me read to you something out of... Um, I'll have to come back maybe to a becker in that area. But let me, let me read to you uh, something really interesting um, in Micah. Let's go, let's go over there. I guess I just got to cover, cover this, whatever time it's going to take, because I, the, the Holy, Holy Spirit put this on me, and I have to first put, you know, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me at the moment uh, in the proper perspective, and the perspective of that is that I am to to share that with you now. So if you go, um, you know, to the book of, of Micah, and not Mal Malachi, but go back and find the book of, uh, of Micah, Micah, and let me, um, let me read, uh, you know, something here. The, the book of Micah is just before Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, and Nahum is just before Habakkuk. So if we look in Micah chapter 4, and we'll start with um, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what it says. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion. Though dominion shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The first dominion, like we teach in the manifest about the, the first domain, dominion, domain, that's the same thing. The first domain, first, first dominion, how beautiful. How utterly, utterly, utterly beautiful. And it's, it's connected to, to Job 38, um, which says in verse 33 of 38, Knowest thou the ordinance of the heavens? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Can you set the essence, the metaphor, the fingerprint. Can you set that in the earth? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And Micah is recognizing this tower of flock, this word of God. And let's go on. And let's look at verse 12 of Micah 4. 
But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. He shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Now, they don't know this. They don't know the love of God to this extent. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thy horn iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Wow. See, even reading this, people don't catch on. But you are going to go out and affect the people of the earth. And the way you're going to be able to reach out all over the world is by the Spirit. And you're going to be able to consecrate. And probably we could throw the word concentrate on this endeavor. And God is going to make your horn, remember we talked about the horns coming out of the hands, like be strong. Iron means to be strong. And your hoofs to be like brass. And we're talking about the white horse ministry here. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people. And this is the fractioning. Same thing that I shared with you in Psalms. And then you're going to be able to consecrate their gain. Right now, whatever gain they do have, whatever good part they do have, whatever value of soul they do have, hasn't been consecrated unto God. So they're just drifting out there without having the consecration of the good things in them, like their soul, like their spirit. And one of the things that you are going to have a ministry to do is make the people come into this realization because it is ripening day by day. And you will be able to do this as you come into the brightenings. Blessed be the name of God. Now, let's look at the continuity of this. Remember, in the original Hebrew, there are no periods, there are no verses, there are no chapters. So this revelation that it just gives immediately runs into, in the original Hebrew, what we call chapter 5 by the King James uh, uh, arrangement. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of, of troops. Oh, where are we getting ready for a war? Gather yourself in troops. People say, oh my gosh. You know, that's what God wants us to do. He said, get, you know, get your war clothes on. It's, it, I mean, because you, if you're a troop, you're surely going to have war clothes and guns and, and ammunition. I know that's what you think. I know that's what you're interpreting. He has laid siege against us. Yeah, there's someone out there coming against us. Get, your, get into a troop position. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, here's the real revelation. But, B-U-T, but, thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet all of thee, yet out of thee, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Verse 5, And this man shall be the peace. P-E-A-C-E. -E. 
and he will come in our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise up against him. Talking about the Syrian. This man shall be the peace when the Assyrians come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, when the Assyrians shall, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, with the land and the land of Nimrod. And this whole thing of the land of Nimrod and all that comes in again. And so people say, but I, I don't understand what you're saying then. What I'm saying is that our war, Prince, you know, in the book it's of Ephesians 6.12, is not against flesh and blood. Now, we either believe that or we don't believe it. And then if we don't believe it, we're believing that it's a lie. It's not against flesh and blood. The war is against powers and principalities, forces of light, forces of darkness. And the beautiful thing here is that when in Micah he's talking about the troops, the answer that it gives to the troops <laughs> are not the troops. The answer it gives is this little town called Bethlehem, Ephrata. Little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of it comes forth who is talking about Jesus Christ, the man of peace, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. And Jesus did not defeat Rome when he was in his physical body in those three and a half years. That's what his disciples, that's what other people wanted him to do, defeat Rome. But he did defeat Rome by a fulfillment of a, of, of a prophecy in Jeremiah. And Rome became a nation with many, many people that believed in Jesus Christ. And that's how he defeated Rome. And that's the plan of the gospel. Now, I've got to move on. I've got to really get moving here. Because there's so much, so much to cover. Now, people say, oh, I just don't know about some of this stuff. This is so, so tough. Well, when the Bible says that God or the Lord repent or repented, it means he decides to undo what he has done. And that is, goes right along with the interpretation of the word repent that I gave to you in 5162 Hebrew Concordance of Strong's. And it talks about, you know, in um, Strong's 5166, Nekemya. And Nekemya means the constellations of Jah. Now there is a scripture in Jeremiah that talks about destroying the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and repent it not. But, you know, here's the thing that the Christians are, are missing. It's many of them. The, many of the Christians are missing the fact that to know the truth of God, you're not going to find it in one part of the Bible. It's collectively known through many parts 
that have to come together. Now let's just let's just look here at um, Psalm 68, and uh, and uh, I'll be finished with this and get on to this other part just a little bit here. But I got to finish a couple things until I get that done. I'll not be completed in my spirit. Okay, here's what it says. Chapter 68, verse 8. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also. Really? That the Lord God may dwell among them. Even the rebellious. That's what it says. He has ascended. And in another scripture says, What is it? He that has sinned first descended. Now, in verse 22 of 68, it says, The Lord said, I will bring again Bashan. I will bring my, bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. What is it talking about? Well, it's talking about an incredibly strange thing called regeneration. To better understand it, let's turn to Ezekiel. And let's look at Ezekiel 16. And Ezekiel 16, verse 49, says this. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. That's how God takes people away, as he sees good. Sometimes he sees that there is no hope for their bodies that they are in. They are so genetically in turmoil. They are so mentally captivated with lust. They are so ingrown with these desires, and it's, it's throughout a whole group. And so God removes his blessings, and then destruction comes. But then is it the end? Well, it's the end of those body houses, yes. But what does it say in verse 50, 53? Well, first let's read this other part, because it's well worth it. Verse 51, neither hath, it says, he, he took him away for good, he, as he saw good. Neither hath Samaria committed half of thy sins. But thou hast made talking out to Jerusalem. You've committed more sins than Samaria. You multiplied the abominations more than they. And hast justified thy sisters in all thy abominations which thou hast done. Which thou hast done. Thou also which hath judged thy sisters bear thine own shame for thy sins that thou hast committed are more abominable than they. You've, you've committed greater sins than Sodom and Gomorrah and Samaria have. They are more righteous than you are. And bear thy shame in that thou hast justified thy sisters. Because here's what's going to happen, God says. When I bring again the captivity the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria and her daughters. Then I will bring again the captivity of thy captives in the midst of them. 
And there you have it. He descended and he led captivity captive, the Bible says. And so we have Sodom and Gomorrah of Jeremiah say he didn't repent on this, but ultimately, ultimately in the course of time, a plan was made to bring again the captive, to bring them back and give them new houses to dwell in. All those people destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah coming back, if they haven't already come, to live again. It's Bible. And that's, I'm just reading you just a couple little spots. There's dozens of other spots about dozens of other people that are, their captivity is overturned because it's the love of God, ladies and gentlemen. It's the absolutely incredible love of God. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be his Holy Spirit. Blessed be this revelation. Now, I'm going to bring this part to an end and get into the reading. The Bible says in Habakkuk, Chapter 3, verse 3, Thou went forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thy anointed. Now when God goes forth to do something, he's doing it for the plan of salvation. He's doing it for the plan of, of them being anointed for that salvation. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Anatomy, spine, muscles, nerves, There's a story way down. There's a continuum way down. The foundations to the neck of the, of the head of how thinketh a man has much more to it than just the dit and the dot of the moments of those mental expressions. There is a trail there is an explicit revelation. And I profound it unto you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the verse, chapter 1, 8, it says, Darkness will pursue his enemies. When God removes the blessing, it's like removing the light. The minute that the light is removed and darkness comes, that darkness begins to pursue all the people who have rejected the living God. And in that darkness, they turn to cannibalism, so to speak. They begin to turn against one another. The Bible gives us examples where the greatest enemy sometimes is in the family. The son turns against the father. The daughters turn against the mother. Family turns against family. People turn against people because the blessing has been lifted and the darkness comes. Wow. And in Zephaniah 1 it says, The Lord will famish all the gods of the earth. Well, you know, it's not talking about a famine of natural goods, natural foods. It's talking about a famine of the word. When he removes the word of God and removes the blessings of the word of God, 
then comes a famine to the gods. To the gods that have gone astray. To the gods that have misinterpreted the word of God and put a blame on God by doing that. And making it all right that if God did this kind of a thing, if God was a murderer and it was okay, then it's okay for us to be a murderer if the situation justifies it. Well, there are two days. I want to talk as I end this about the second day. We know there's a second day because there's a second death. Revelations 2.11 tells us about it. Also, Revelations 20 and 6 and 21 and 8. There's a second death. The Bible says, in the first death, you still have a chance. You still can be forgiven. You still can be regenerated. But in the second death, it's over. The Bible says there's only one condition that can bring you into the second death. Those that have sinned against the Holy Spirit, rejected the opportunity, because God will not overcome your will. You refuse to be saved. God will not save you. You refuse to have Jesus as your Savior, have God as your, as your God and, lo and to love you. He will not force it on you. There's a second death. But if there's a second death, in all of the aspects of the, of the counterpoints of the Bible, and the counterparts, and the counterfeits, when God has something that is resolved and resoluted as a profound offering, Satan creates a counterfeit to it. So you always can use the one part to establish the other part. So that if there is a second death, then there's also a second day. If the second day represents a second death, then there's a second day that represents the second life. In 1 Corinthians 15.47, it talks about the first man and the second man from heaven. And so we see that the second day is explained in Psalms 105, the Yom being called a thousand generations. And if we're talking about a seven, you know, a thousand generations, which it describes, and we're talking about Psalms 90, I believe it is, the 70 years that we're given or the 80 years, then that's 70 or 80,000 years. And that is called a day. And during that day, you have this opportunity. And that opportunity, it may be more than one house that you will live in, is called a second day. But once you get past that thousand-year period, as far as the Ophanims are concerned, you then belong to the second death. Wow. Deep. 
very deep. Okay, now to the reading. Blessed be the name of God. What a moment. What an exciting time. We're running out of time, but I've just got to go over a few things here. We remember that Lucifer, Satan, appealed to the white throne, white throne of the Holy Commission, saying he was innocent of all the charges. He gave the criteria of his defense. He himself has lawyer capabilities. You remember the assessments of Michael, the archangel, and uh, his in initial charges uh, for judgment that he felt was due uh, to be given to Lucifer. And um, how that, uh, you know, there are all these various aspects. And then we see that that in Michael's assessments, I, Michael, certify that shortly after our initial judgment of Lucifer and the Ophanims, the following sequences of events occurred. Yaviel, by the invitation of Gabriel, joined to the realms of the Pleiades and set up creation orders among the cherubim for the purpose of replacing the condemned Ophanim and proceeding with task of creation upon earth. At that time, Lucifer, breaking Un's probation, conferred with the Ophanim uh, and convinced large majorities of them to reject the judgment of the judges and to journey with him to the constellation of Drago until an appeal to the Holy Commission could be set. However, once again, Dominius, being very zealous of the kingdom, rebuked Lucifer and led Un's captain, captains in accelerations against Lucifer and the host. Lucifer, with great force of presence, said, I might add, and a vastly superior number of angels, overpowered Dominius and the captains of the host, immediately after Un's victory, leaving Dominius and Un's captains in a daze. Lucifer led Un's revolting band of insurrectionists to the constellation of, dragon, of the dragon, or Drago. At that point, cherubim sentries of Gabriel photo-transitioned code to Gabriel at the present situation, of the present situation. Earlier attempts to do so successfully were blocked by Lucifer's Ophanim. Gabriel and, Yus and, Luz and Yaviel, uh, deep into their plans of creative angel assignments, were hardly prepared for this new, new assault. However, I will say, the speed by which Gabriel moved Un's legions shook the heavens. Using the sacred circuits, I, Michael, and my host intercepted Gabriel from Un's collision course with Lucifer. Having perfect knowledge that Gabriel's guardianship authority gave him every right to proceed as Un did, I nevertheless persuaded Gabriel to retreat from Un's course of action, and I based my opinion on two points, this is Michael's opinion, that Gabriel, a cherub, should not war against Un's own co-appointee, Lucifer, who is all a cherub angel. That Lucifer at this time was still under the orders of my judgment, and therefore it was the duty of the seraphim to conclude the matter. I was pleased that Gabriel agreed, and even more pleased that Yavio 
displayed such trust and patience with Yah's cherubim and seraphim kindred. For Gabriel and I, as lords of our principalities, of our principalities, well understood Yahweh's rights to use the invincible powers as a lord of principality, but the which, for mercy's sake, Yah had refused to do. We see here that Yahweh could have used these invincible powers as a principality to have changed the course of things. But Yah, having that inertia of the sameness of the Father in heaven, wanted people to make their decision by their will, not by being overpowered and forced. It was apparent at the onset of my arrival to, to drag, drag on that Lucifer was well prepared for war, for the best mind accelerators of the Ophanim in Un's command were poised in the precise, precise or precise frequency assignments that only a master could know. However, I did the opposite, although somewhat risky, thing that Lucifer had suspected, that Lucifer had not suspected. Choosing several hosts and legions, my legions penetrated their concentration using the lower accelerations. At that same moment, others of my legions accelerated as though to challenge the mind accelerators. Once having penetrated the concentration of Lucifer's realm, my legions swept past their sentries without contesting them, enabling my legions to outflank and outpower and overpower Lucifer's forces. It is the most sorrowful of consequences that several legions of, 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 of Lucifer's Ophanim were depleted of their, char of their charges, almost to the Orosol signal. My next step was to move the captives to the realm of Orion for judgment. I find it difficult to express my deep compassion for Yaviel and my deep sense of loss for Yah's Ophan, Ophan family, so misled by Lucifer, for whom I cannot at this point feel sympathy. How somehow so much evil could arise from a people so good, although I well understand, still challenges my balance. I discovered that during the whole course of this war, Yaviel, Dominius, the 144 captains, and some faithful Ophanim returned to the realms of Arturus and prayed fervently for the mercy of God Almighty. Although there was never a doubt in my mind concerning the outcome of Lucifer's extradition, I nevertheless am grateful for their prayers. Unto each of you, most reverend of the Holy Commission, I hereby set my words in order of judgment of Lucifer and, and the Un's host. On that fateful day of judgment, it was decreed by Lucifer's own actions, Un had forfeited all rights and immunity as an archangel. Therefore, we stripped Lucifer of Un's title, and assigning Lucifer the new name of Satan, we banished Un from the upper heavens until Satan should cease to be. However, we offered Satan redemption from death by means of the burnings, going in and taking human body, which Un animately rejected. We further decreed that all of the participating Ophanim be stripped of their title of Ophanim to take the title of Teraphim and be banished from the higher heavens to the lower accelerations until they should, they should uh, uh, repent or cease to be. However, we also offered these Teraphim redemption from death by the burnings. 
which 666 billion of those teraphims have already rejected. Therefore, we now branded, uh, uh, we all brand, we have branded them as potential demons. We decreed that much, that inasmuch as Dominius and 144,000 captains and some of their hosts were guilty of insubordination, they also must go through the burnings and decree their titles to be changed to teraphim. Nevertheless, to them were given special helps because of their good intentions. It is not necessary to document the pleadings and accusations any further of Satan, inasmuch as our jealous has extensively, extensively presented his case. At this time, Satan notoriously advertises his once dominance in the minds of a 66, six, 666 billion ophanims and his plans to make them become a part of the legions. Nevertheless, one-third of these 666 ophanims relented and joined the one-third of the ophanims who decided to go through the burnings of the mortals in expectancy of redemption. Interestingly, the one-third of the once 666 billion equals not just a third, but one-half of the trillion of the billion Ophanim angels. This, of the billions of Ophanim angels, this one-half is bonded and is connected of the Ophanim uh, remaining that live with Lucifer Satan. Now, I want to bring sort of a conclusion. Of course, there's many much reading of this of this book that we're passing because it's not. We just don't have time to read the whole book. The heavens were filled with sadness. Yaviel wept. Lucifer, having rejected Un's judgment, next proceeded to convince the Ophanim to follow Un to the constellation of Drago. Then Lucifer and the Ophanim set up war camps in the constellation of Drago. And we've read a little bit of that to you. Satan is a powerful lawyer of the universal laws of God's photo transitions in the Soundtron. Therefore, there is a constant controversy between the forces of Satan and the forces of Gabriel, Michael, and Christ. For Yaviel, the, of, of Christ the Yaviel, for the minds of the humankind. Satan ceases not to debate Un's rights as an angel of prior high rank and to challenge and test the judgments of the seraphims, the, the decisions of the cherubim, and the true character of the teraphim. Then I'm going to have to skip over all the rest of the readings. There's a lot. To just bring you the conclusion of what happens after the white throne judgment. And I saw time end and the good angels gathering all orasold beings to stand before the great white throne judgment of the Holy Commission. And I saw Satan judged and the words of the commission striking Satan as a pulverizing tool. I saw Satan 
fall upon Un's knees. Then the vapors, then a thick vapor began coming from his mouth. Then the vapors became the individual entities of Lucifer's co-owned as they were leaving his body. They would become punctuated points in the next universe. Only time would tell that whole story. I saw Lucifer Satan come out of Un's bondings, yes, with the co-owned legions. Then Lucifer Satan, having pleaded for mercy for Un's inner legions, walked away. His inner legions, of course, were these co-owned, and he pleaded for mercy for them. And that was granted. And why they became punctuated points in the next, to be able to be raised in the next universe. So they would become punctuated points in the condensation, in the, the total density of this present universe when it ends. And then when it is stretched out again into a new heaven, those punctuated points will have a chance to be reinitialized and have a chance to be to go through the burnings, take bodies. I saw Lucifer come out of Un's bonding with the Kohn legions. Then Lucifer Satan after having pleaded mercy for them, walked away into perpetual vanishment to never be again. I saw Lucifer's inner legions fall like rocks to the density of matter, becoming sovereign points in a suspended destiny. And there's other descriptions of this, but it's a very sad thing, as it tells of Lucifer Satan. Now, as we tried to explain to you in other parts, that when all the, these people are wiped out, what is killed of them and destroyed of them is the house. They still have their spirit. They still have their body souls, their spirit souls, rather, not body soul. And here we have Lucifer, who has taken on by the assignment this Satan character. And it becomes as a, as a, a sort, a house of the new character, a house of differentiation from anything that he ever was as Lucifer. And yet it is assigned to him and he is stuck with it until he could ever be separated from it. And when it talks about in the book of in the books of the Bible of these kings which are a proxy for, for Lucifer drowning and dying, never rising again. It is talking about the character, the body character. But it's not talking about the spirit character. The spirit returns to God who gave it. 
You can believe that or not believe it. But by not believing it, you just reveal your ignorance about the eternal love of God. And you have to remember, I've heard people say to me, well, when I would say to them, why do you want to be saved? Well, I want to go to heaven and I want eternal life. If I don't, not saved, I'll not have eternal life. And I said, well, that's not true. And they said, well, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. I said, what happens if you go to hell? You live for a day or two? Oh, no. That's eternal. Oh. So then if you go to hell, you're living eternally in hell, in your way of thinking. Well, I never thought of it that way. Well, you should have. Because these things that are eternal have a different meaning sometimes than what people think. If I say that something is destroyed and it will never be again, that is a, that is a eternal destruction. It doesn't mean that it's around eternally. It means it's eternally lost, it's eternally destroyed, that that hell is an eternal hell, which means that it's an act that happens that is an eternal act. If you are destroyed, it's an eternal act. It doesn't mean that, like some people describe it, you're going to be tortured. You've got to understand the interpretation of those things. Now this is heavy, but it's beautiful because it's about the love of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten sin. He loves the world. He loves you. And there are some people out there that you need the Holy Spirit and you just can't seem to be able to get it. Not too far back, I had, I talked to a lady over the telephone in another, in the States. I'm up in Canada. And she said, I said, well, have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And she says, no, I've tried. I've been to different churches and I've had them pray for me, but I've never been able to get, get it. I said, how would you like to get it right now? And she says, well, um, what do you, you mean right now? Yeah, right over the telephone. I pray for you and cause the Holy Spirit, the Spirit to come into you, and you can receive the Holy Spirit right now as I'm talking to you on the telephone. She says, well, yeah, okay, I would like to have the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray, and the Holy Spirit began to move over the telephone line. And my spirit, by the Holy Spirit, revealing this word, began to come into her ears in a special kind of way. And pretty soon, she was talking in tongues. Someone says, I don't know about that talking in tongues stuff. I know you don't know. That's why you need to listen to this. When Babel by Nimrod was set up to solve that horrible, nasty problem, there had to be a confounding of the tongues, which was caused by the angels when they came to earth in their zis, releasing an incredibly high-pitched sound that differentiated certain aspects in their ears and caused them to begin to enunciate things differently and created, eventually, a new language of tongues and communication. 
But the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, people from all the different nations began to hear those that had received the Holy Spirit speaking in the tongues of their, of their country. And they were amazed. Well, there's the babble of tongues, there's the unknown tongues, and then there's known tongues. The gift of the Holy Spirit is wonderful. It's wonderful. And so you can receive this Holy Spirit experience right where you are right now. Or you can come back and turn this on later and play it when you're alone and receive it. But you can receive it right now because I'm going to pray. I'm going to send spirit-to-spirit -spirit message to you. And my spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes when you receive the Holy Spirit, it has to be like being a baby. You become like a child again. And you just babble, and it doesn't really make any sense. And no one expects to understand what the babble of that little baby means, except they know it's precious. Well, if you begin to babbling a little bit, it'll just be considered precious. And that babbling can lead to actually speaking. I have spoken in the tongues of several different nations that I never, ever had any background of learning of their language and had people that were in the audience that spoke those languages. Spanish, Hindi, just all kinds of different languages. But I've also spoken in Babel, <laughs> and I've also spoken in unknown tongues. And unknown tongues, it says, is so important because you aren't speaking to humankind, you're speaking to God. And you are, your spirit is praying for you in ways that you yourself don't, at the time, knowledgeably know how to pray. And it prays for you, and it makes gain that you cannot make that gain because you don't have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And it does that when you have the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be without the Holy Spirit. You need it. Are you ready? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, I adjure the forces of darkness. I adjure the powers and the principalities of Satan to loosen his hold upon the room and the house that you are in. Right now, the Spirit of God is going forth. And in every inspiration of that Spirit, it is filled with legions of the holy angels of God. Right now, this power is going forth over this broadcast and is filling every part of the house. The Godwins of the Holy Ghost begin to yield to him. There are few people already. The Holy Spirit is coming upon you. Holy Spirit is coming upon you. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. You can feel this vibration. You can feel almost a trembling. Some of you already are shaking. You feel this. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Just begin to open your mouth and move your tongue. Da-ba-da-ba-dee-ba-da-ba-dee-ba-da-da-da-da-ba-dee-a-da-da-ba-da-dee-a-da-da. 
Just begin to speak. That's right. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to seek God. Don't be afraid to give in to God. That's it. Just begin to speak. You may not understand this Holy Ghost thing, but you don't understand God either. This Holy Ghost thing can speak all languages of the entire whole world. And it can speak the language of angels. Receive the Holy Spirit now. Just begin to let this Holy Spirit take charge of you. Take charge of your mind. Take charge of your home. Take charge of your body. And you will become a new person. In the name of Jesus. And you just go on with this and start developing this. And just keep letting the Holy Spirit move. Oh, there's people really moving under this right now. I can feel it. Oh, God bless you. And just continue this as I move off of the broadcast and allow you just to receive this precious Holy Spirit. God loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much.